welcome to the first podcast in our Advent Sermon Series. I'm Dan Rampack, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Bruce Bentley will be starting our series with a sermon called Promises. So, what does Advent mean? Uh, it comes to us from Latin, uh, or actually from the Greek, via Latin into English. But really what it means simply is coming. So our focus on Advent, or during this Advent season, is the coming of Christ. Now, if you really geek out about the history of the word, ancient believers, like way back centuries ago, when they were speaking of Advent, they were talking about and thinking about the second coming of Christ. So Advent celebration, a long time ago, if you really want to get traditional, had more to do with uh, new life in Christ and even being baptized as a symbol to other people that you're now a Christian and celebrating the fact that we know Jesus is coming back. So somewhere way back centuries ago, it got switched from the second coming of Jesus to the advent, the focus of advent on the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation, God and man in Jesus as a baby. So that's where we land today in the history, in the current history of the church, in case you're wondering. So, so advent means coming. We are going to focus on the first coming of Jesus as we go through this series together. And we're going to focus on some major themes. Like I said, they're in the book. They're also, uh, Scripture is saturated with the depth and the meaning of what these themes are about. They're going to help us understand who Jesus is, why Jesus came, how necessary his coming was, and what difference does the advent, the coming of Jesus, make in our lives today, okay? That's where we're going to be coursing through all of these different themes. So our first theme this morning is that of promise or promises, okay? Uh, there's, there's a lot we can say about promises. We're all familiar with either making them or breaking them, right? Uh, I think that those are two things and maybe the breaking part. Uh, maybe you made a promise to family members about Thanksgiving and how you're, you know, maybe weeks ago you're going to spend, looking forward to spending Thanksgiving together and what happened? Poof, right? I mean, for so many of us, the, the rug gets yanked out from under our feet and those promises we made to do certain things were broken, perhaps. Maybe you went through that and there's a sting to it, right? Especially... Now, I'm just being honest here, especially when restrictions are imposed by someone you don't know, right? Are you with me? When somebody tells me what to do, my natural inclination is to go, so what? <laughs> I will do what I want to do, right? And then you have to decide, well, am I going to obey? Am I going to submit to this authority, whether they understand or believe the restrictions are not, and there's a sting in that too, isn't there? So we're familiar with that. Promises broken and the different reasons they're broken, 
But hopefully, I, I hope you're all familiar with promises kept and the joy that brings to the heart of, of yourself and to other people when you can be a part of keeping a promise. So when I was preparing this this past week, the, one of the first images that comes to mind is when my family, I'm putting this way because most of them are seated over here, hiding away from you, but I can see them, and every once in a while I look at them, it makes them nervous. So uh, when, I, when my kids were younger, would they still love me before adolescence, and I would go somewhere, like say for a week, uh, traveling somewhere, and uh, before I left, I would make the promise that I'm going to come back, and they actually look forward to me coming back at that stage in life, and uh, if it was someplace kind of fun that I went to, that I would make a promise to bring something back, like a gift, uh, a souvenir, whatever. Uh, and then I would come back, and the joy that daddy's home, right? That fills the heart for both kids and daddy when you see the reunion and the, and the joy of a promise kept. And then, of course, yeah, the gift. And you never know, was it me or was it the gift? that they were more happy with. But anyway, there is a joy when you are reunited. You kept the promise, right? So we're familiar with both of those. I hope you're more familiar with promises kept, but I believe that we're all also familiar with how a promise broken really stings. Now, this morning, Gene read from this tiny little book called Micah from the original Testament. He's a minor prophet. And he spoke on behalf of God to the people of Judah, okay? And there were all sorts of issues going on at that time. Uh, God was speaking to his people, regardless of how they had sinned, regardless of how they had rejected him, that God intended on keeping his promise with his people. So his promises were not based on uh, their performance or even their response to God, God was going to keep his promises no matter what. So he promises to send someone to this very tiny, very forgettable backwater place called Bethlehem, and he was going to promise to send someone, but not just any person. He was going to send a king, a king to be born that was going to bring his people together. This king was going to be not just the ruler monarch on the throne, but this king was also to be a shepherd. And just think again of the, the earthy, dirty, smelly kind of job that a shepherd had. A king and a shepherd, you would not put those two together. But God, through the prophet, on behalf of the people, did. He's going to be a king, and he's going to be a shepherd, and he's going to bring people together through God's strength, and give his people a couple things he speaks of, security and peace, which in their day were in very short supply. If you want to know the rest of the story, you got to read Micah. But think about it. King and shepherd bringing his people security and peace. That's quite a promise. And especially at a time where you look around in the, the conditions of your daily life, and you don't see any way that that's possible. So a promise that sounds grandiose, but how in the world is God going to deliver on this promise? Now, if you just do a quick 
uh, search, even on your computer or in your Bible app or whatever you use. You just do a quick search on promise, the word promise, and you will find hundreds of places. I mean, many places throughout Scripture where the word promise comes up. And most of those, I mean, some of them are like promises between people, but most of those are promises that God makes with his people. All right, sometimes it's referred to as covenant promises, but even the word promise in English, it happens hundreds of times. This is a huge theme throughout all the original Testament and the New Testament, God making his promises. So sometimes it's hard for us to understand, okay, it's Bible, it's Bible times, it's ancient talk, you know, it happened for other people, right? It's hard for us sometimes to see how God's word or God's promises for ancient people that are long dead and gone actually apply to us, but they do. And this morning we're going to look at how we should understand promises in kind of a quick overview. So three different things about God's promises to keep in mind this morning. Number one, God's promises have a deep and rich and wonderful and powerful and beautiful history, okay? Now, uh, if you're familiar with the, um, the story of Jesus coming and the Gospels, uh, we don't have the time to, to dig deep into these different stories, but a couple different uh, parts of the story we're going to pull out this morning because they're so important to understand how God reinforces his historical promises for the current people in the Gospels, that for their benefit and benefit, our benefit, we can look back and say, ooh, this is what God has done. It would be important for me to remember it. So out of hundreds of promises, especially for Advent, we're going to talk about a couple of them. Promises made to Joseph and Mary and the prime examples that, the, uh, the, that these are. So the first one you see on the screen is Joseph, back in the book of Matthew, <laughs> excuse me, chapter one, we have the story of an, an angel speaking to Joseph. He's already engaged to be marri married to Mary, and uh, he discovers that Mary is pregnant. And big social faux pas, scandalous in the times, what is he going to do? So he's decided that he is going to quietly divorce her so not to bring shame on her name and her family. He's going to do this quietly and nobody needs to know about it. And then the angel speaks to him and says what? He says, don't worry about this. This baby is of the Holy Spirit. Okay, right? Yeah, okay, I'm, 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 keep, keep it going, God, okay, the, you know, keep talking to me. No, you don't have to worry. This baby, there's a reason that this baby has come to Mary, so you need to follow uh, our instructions, God's instructions, and it's all going to work out. What a journey of faith that would be, right? So as he speaks, uh, Matthew then brings in this reminder and this is where the history of promise comes in that's so important that builds faith, that builds trust. Even in a moment where what happens, then God is still working. So he brings in this moment, and you see Isaiah chapter 7, 
verse 14 on the screen. So Matthew clues in in uh, his gospel and quotes from Isaiah chapter 7. It's just so fascinating in the way it all works out. The angel says that this baby is going to be God with us. And we know that to be Emmanuel, okay? So he brings in Isaiah to say, remember when this happened one other time, okay? So you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and it's King Ahaz. King Ahaz over Judah, and bad things are happening. The, uh, the Assyrians are coming. They're, they're wiping out Israel, and now Judah is threatened. And so now the question is, King Ahaz, who is it that, that you trust? Are you going to trust foreign powers and kings and their horses and their chariots, or are you going to dr- trust God, the true king of Israel and of Judah? Who are you going to trust? And uh, again, the passage is fascinating. You've got to take time later to read it. God then speaks to Ahaz and says, ask me for a sign. And Ahaz is too chicken to even ask, well, maybe for really good reasons. Uh, so then God says, all right, you're not going to ask for it. I'll give you a sign. And he says, a virgin is going to conceive and give birth. Now, scholars argue about this intensely over the centuries. That occurrence in Isaiah, did it actually happen then, or was it a sign to point us forward to Jesus coming? And nobody knows for sure. It's still a debated question. I think if God can do it once, he can do it twice. So you make up your mind for yourself. Go back to Isaiah. You read the chapter. You you decide for yourself. But I think Like what I just said, if God could use that kind of a sign for his people during the time of King Ahaz, then he could also do it again for his people uh, uh, in Matthew, as Matthew talks with Joseph and Mary. The whole point being this, Joseph thinks about, okay, God has established his promises in the past, I can trust him now in the present. Now, that's one example. What else do we have? We have Mary, a different gospel account, the book of Luke. And this time the angel that speaks has a name. You know what his name is? Gabriel, I heard it. Yes, the angel Gabriel shows up and he tells Mary what's gonna happen and you're gonna have a baby. And she's like, I'm a virgin. I don't understand how this works. And again, we go through the same thing. You'd understand why people would be confused, right? And angel Gabriel says, you don't have to worry because the Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. And then you're going to have a baby. That's the issue that is uh, presented to us in Luke chapter 1. And the, the angel Gabriel says, your child isn't going to be just any child, obviously, because the Holy Spirit is going to make this happen. But your child is going to be called holy. Not just any baby, but the Son of God. And then Gabriel goes on to say in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary knew enough of her original testament to go, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, Gabriel points her back through what he says to, and you see it on the screen, Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14. 
And that story has everything to do with Abraham and Sarah. And if you know that story, you know that Abraham and Sarah at this point in Genesis 18, they are both old and childless. And they are convinced that the whole childbearing times have come and gone. And I just can't wait. So so a little teaser here, okay? After we get past Advent, Advent mm, somewhere in the middle of January, we're going to get back to Genesis. And I can't wait to get, we're going to start where we left off. So it's going to be chapter 11, chapter 12. I can't wait to get to chapter 18. Because you go back and read it, Abraham's hanging out in the heat of the day by his tent, and the text says that three people come to him, okay? And one of them speaks, and Abraham responds to this one as the Lord. Not Lord, master, not Lord in respect, which sometimes that's the way the the word is used. A different word is used, uh, the Adonai word. So Abraham realizes that this guy who's speaking isn't just any other guy. Three guys show up, one speaks, and he calls him Lord, capital L. Huh? It's kind of cool. I kind of geek out on stuff like this. So we're going to get into that when we get back to the book of Genesis. He speaks, and he tells Abraham that Sarah is going to have a baby. Sarah overhears, she hears the conversation, and she laughs to herself. <laughs> Whatever that means. I don't know. I don't know how I actually did it. I don't think she laughed out loud, <laughs> like that. I think it's a quiet little laugh based on what? Reality. Old women don't have babies. That is an established fact. And what does he say? He says nothing is impossible. And actually, he says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And different translations, uh, instead of using hard, use the word wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Mary, back to Luke chapter 1, she remembers that story from long ago. Is anything, that's just a story. No, God did it. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Is anything too hard or wonderful for the Lord? Even Mary would be thinking, in my situation, I'm a virgin. Virgins don't have babies. But Gabriel said, I'm going to have Is anything too hard or impossible or wonderful for God? If you know the history of God's promises, you are far more likely to look at that and go, maybe not. Maybe God can do something impossible today with me. That's the wonder and the power and the beauty of history as we remember what the good and wonderful promises of God are and what they say to us. Now, let's move on. God's promises also have a present. We're going to jump from the original Testament and from the Gospels into the book of 2 Peter. I mentioned earlier we finished 1 Peter. We haven't looked at 2 Peter yet, but we're jumping into 2 Peter anyway. And we have this question you see on the screen. Where is the promise of his coming? Now, that's a really good question in our day right now for anyone. And in fact, maybe you've heard a question like that or worded similarly. The past is a past, right? The book of the, you know, it's a Bible, it's an old book. Where's God now? Peter had people that he was talking about in his letter in 2 Peter that were asking that question. And 
even in our present, people ask that question. You talk of how God is powerful and how God can do things. Well, I don't see it right now. Where is it? Where is this hope? Where, where is the stuff you're talking about, right? Peter refers to people that are asking that question as scoffers. So that's kind of a harsh word. Uh, it makes us think that people are actually being belligerent and rude when they ask, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this good stuff that you talk about? I don't see it, and I don't experience it, neither does anyone else I know. So people can be pretty harsh and scoff, but they can also ask that question out of a heart and a desire that really wants to know, it, you know right? I mean, you don't have to be a jerk to ask that question. Uh, that's a very good I think very realistic question to ask. So Peter then responds this way. I don't have it on the screen, but 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A thousand years, one day. One day, a thousand years. We're the linear people when we think of time. We like timelines. Our culture uh, likes timelines, right? Americans like timelines. So imagine, if you will, right now, close your eyes if you want to, but don't fall asleep. Imagine a timeline that goes on in both directions farther than what you can see. Imagine, if you will, a timeline that incorporates God's plan in the universe. So now we're talking about, if you're, if you're young earth creation, and you're talking about thousands of years, if you don't care about that, you're talking about millions of years. But either way, you can't see the either, either end, Right? And then where do you fit on that timeline? Somewhere in there, you're this tiny little blip. Now, you exist, but in the, the face of, in the course of human history, you're not much, right? Sorry to break it to you, okay? That may be harsh right now, but you're just this little blip on that massive timeline. And in that little blip, you look at God and say, where are you? What, where's the promise, the hope of your coming? And to scoff and to be rude at God. And God is saying, you're there and I see all of this. So in your sense, yeah, you'd, I mean, we'd all like to have the answers right now, right? To our problems, or our questions. The why did this year go south into the toilet so hard and so fast? We all want to know, what is God up to? Where is God in that? Yep. And God's response through Peter is, be patient and listen. Why? Because God is patient. He sees his whole plan that involves a lot more than just you. It involves more than just people. He is at work redeeming his entire universe that we get to be a part of for a few years, but he is, his plans are so vast that it blows our minds to even try to comprehend. He is at work in all of that. And in the midst of that, we're frustrated with timing because we can't comprehend it. But God remembers or reminds us through Peter, he is patient. Why? 
bottom line at the end of that verse, he desires all to come to repentance. There is not a single person can, that can say at the end of time, at the, at the beginning of judgment, I didn't have an opportunity. God wants everyone to hear his gospel and have the opportunity to respond. This takes faith. I mean, all of that takes faith. To look at timing and not understand why and we still have questions, that takes trust that God sees the timeline, that God's at work, and he is faithful and true to finish what it is he's started. We can fight it. We can try to fight it. That's ridiculous. Or we can trust it and say that because God is God, that he knows what he's doing and be thankful that he's given me an opportunity to respond to his grace, right? So that's where the promises meet us in our present time. One more, God's promises have a future to them. What God will do in Christ is a certainty. We can trust that. Why? Because we look back at all the recorded history that's in Scripture, and we see that God has kept his promises always. He's never failed. We can look at our present and say, even though, yeah, I don't have all the answers, he's still at work, and there is reason to rejoice that he's giving me time to respond. And now we look at the future. What is it that's coming our direction? Well, we can say this, God always has a plan, and he is certain to carry out his plan for all of us. Now, that doesn't mean I get anything I want under the big Christmas tree, but it does mean that God will do his thing in our timing to deliver what it is that is a part of his eternal plan. We can trust him in that. One verse here that I'm going to draw your attention to that is on the screen that Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, okay? Or all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, why do I draw us to this passage? Well, Paul had issues with the people in Corinth and that church, and the people in Corinth, well, they had issues with Paul. Imagine that, pastor and his church not getting along. That doesn't happen, right? Okay, <laughs> little, okay. Well, it, it was happening. Paul uh, was seen as somebody who was unsure, unstable. He's vacillating. Uh, he says yes to this, and, and it really meant no. And so the people in the church are saying, what is, what is it with you, Paul? What's the problem? We'd rather have somebody else that doesn't say yes and no and seems to be confused all the time. So Paul responds to them like, look, guys, <laughs> here's the deal. I did say yes to my plans to you. I was going to visit at a certain time, but God had other plans. And I couldn't visit you at the time that I said. So speaking of yes and no and all this deal, uh, I'm actually responding to what God's plan is in my life and in the life of this church, which brings up lesson time, okay? So it's not just about what happened with Paul and his church and whether they were agreeing and yes and no and is he dependable, reliable. He's saying God is always reliable. God says yes to his plan and we better respond to it. <laughs> we better be faithful and obedient. 
to what it is as he delivers it, as he makes his plan known in our lives, in the life of his church, he promises to always bring it about, which brings us to the lesson of this verse. See, it's not just about me, and it's not even just about city on a hill, or it's not just about uh, churches in our area. It's the bigger picture that Paul says there's a lesson here. All of these yeses that he's talking about, all of these promises that happened in history, in the original Testament, and he's talking to Jews. If Jews knew the, the Torah, they knew the law, then they would be familiar with that. But even as new believers, everything you're hearing about God, all of these promises, all of them combine ultimately in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They all meet their, meet their, or make their high point in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate yes to all of the promises in Scripture. Everything that God is at work at says yes in Jesus Christ. So our future hope is based on the certainty that all these promises that we respond to, that we read in Scripture, come to be this yes in Jesus Christ. And here's the wonderful part of all of that. He ends this verse, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to, the, to, uh, to God for his glory. This is something to amen about. <laughs> when we consider God's goodness and his promises that we get to benefit from, even though we don't deserve it, we have reason to say amen. Now, uh, we're not really historically a church that says amen a lot, but we're going to work on that together. This is the interaction part this morning, okay? We're going to work on that a little bit right here, okay? So everybody leading in worship, come on up. We are going to be singing again shortly, but let me just tell you about amen a little bit. What does the word amen mean? We say it at the end of prayers. Uh, we say it every once in a while if we feel really moved about something. So uh, amen is simply just confirming something. It is establishing something that, that you hear that's truth, that's God's truth, especially when it comes to his promises, that you hear his promise and you say, amen. Because, yep, I believe that. I'm confirming and, and affirming that that truth is truth. It's truth in my life. I've experienced that promise as it's beginning to be fulfilled in my life, so I say amen. And I know that other people, as they've responded to God's goodness, that, that he is also true and good, and his promises are always certain. So I say amen to that, right? So saying amen together isn't meant to be some kind of religious phonyism. It's not, it's not some, meant to be some emotional kind of response in the moment. Actually, it's a very, it's both. It's a very intellectual response. I understand and perceive this truth. And it's also a heartfelt response that it moves me. <laughs> it's not just some random truth about the Bible. I know it. I live it. I live in it. I embrace it. So when I say amen, there's a reason that I say amen. So like I said, historically, We've never been really about saying amen and probably even less so with mass on. I would like to change that at least for this morning. Now in the future, that's up to you however you want to do that. But we're going to have a chance this morning 
to join together in saying amen to the promises of God that find their yes in Jesus, both now and into the future. So I'm going to give you a statement, and we're going to give you a chance to respond, okay? And all of this is why. Why do we do any of this? What did that verse say? To his glory. It all goes back to God. We're not trying to impress each other with how our voices sound or how religious or how emotionally charged we are. None, oh, you can do that. You can be emotional. But the point of it is to say glory to God. We glorify you, God, for what you've done when we say amen together, right? Amen. Okay, all right. Okay, we're, we're, we're warming up here. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a short list of promises that come straight out of Scripture. And then would you reply with me with an amen like you mean it, okay? That comes up from the gut and comes out of your mouth to the glory of God. Can you do that? Okay, because of Christ, our sins are forever forgiven and remembered by God no more. Because of Christ, the power of sin over us is broken and we are set free. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us. His grace, again, getting choked up. His grace is sufficient for me because his power is perfected in my weakness. Amen. I can be reconciled with all of you because Jesus destroys the wall that separates us. Amen. Jesus promises to generously give wisdom when I ask without judgment. I have everything I need through Christ for a godly life. We have the promised seal of the Holy Spirit on our lives. The Holy Spirit in our hearts is our guarantee of new life in Jesus Christ. One day, this guarantee of eternal life will be realized when Jesus, the King of Kings, returns. I am his and he is mine. Amen. Lord Jesus, confirm these truths in us that we could stand in them. And as we look to the future glorious return of the King of Kings, we will, we will respond in hope, not based and how good we are or significant we think we are or how emotional our response is or none of that garbage. We respond because the grace of God has covered our sins and has set us free. We rejoice in all of these truths and we give you the glory for every single one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week we're continuing our Advent series. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Frostroads, Ruth, Faithworks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.